This Front Row Rugby episode appeared originally on YouTube. Today, you are going to get a front row seat to the incredible story of former Springbok Heinrich Fuls. Heinrich, it's lovely to have you on Front Row Rugby. Welcome. Thanks, Peterman. Thanks for having me. Now, just before we begin the conversation, let's take a look at this week's trivia question. Which city was the venue for Rassi Erasmus's first test as Springbok coach in 2018? Now, if you know the answer to that question, you can put it in the comment section down below. And we'll also find out if Heinrich knows the answer, but we'll do that at the end of our conversation. Heinrich, I'd like to begin in 1992. How confident were you that you were going to make the Springbok squad ahead of that first test back against the All Blacks? No, uh, Peter, 1992 is, uh, is very much of a, one of those dream, dream years. I, I played trials for RAU, which is the UJ now. And Yalpi Mulder and Peter Daas was a, the center combination for RAU. So I was actually selected for, to play for RAU second side. But I never made it to the A side. And then Harry Fagun invited me to trials to play for Transvaal trials. But I mean, you, you couldn't even make the varsity A side. And then the next morning I woke up and I was in the side. So, um, so yeah, so I can't, I can't tell you that I've even thought about playing Springbok rugby in 1992 it wasn't even part of a dream because it you know it was just too too far-fetched so given that now you are in the Springbok squad you named on the bench 1992 first test match against the All Blacks there you are at Ellis Park what was going through your mind at that stage it was it's hectic because uh, I mean like I said to you earlier I didn't plan or anticipate that I would be there Uh, again it's through injuries that that Transvaal trials, Yalpi Mulder tore his cruciate ligaments. The week uh, before the All Blacks played, we, before the junior All Blacks played, the uh, junior Springboks played the All Blacks just before the May first test, Brendan Fenter broke his leg against the All Blacks at Free State. So I think then I played for the junior box against the All Blacks. And then because I was I played SS Schools B fullback and I played center, so I think they saw me as a utility back. And um, yeah, so, but I, Again, it was an absolute stunner, surprise uh, to be announced, to be in the squad. Rocked up at the at the hotel and have your kit there. It's surreal. I mean, I was yeah. You, know, you you can't you can't describe it, but uh, confidence to have to be there. No idea. No, it's like a blindsided slap in the face. <laughs> you didn't. You just couldn't predict it. So. Now, you did actually get to come onto the field. I know it was only for two minutes, but how special was that feeling? Yeah, no, it was, uh, I mean, it, uh, it, because you're on the bench, you're part of everything. But in those days, the bench didn't stand on the field when the anthem was sung and stuff like that. So you were not on the pitch. But I mean, the atmosphere was absolutely electrifying with that full Ellis Park. Um, yeah, I know when, when James came off and I went up, it, it, yeah, you just, it's, you just slot in. And I mean, I slotted in. Robert Apria gave me a short ball, crashed into the forwards, and Donnie scored a try. So we spoke about it the other day. <laughs> he says, oh, well, at least I still carried the ball forward. So, so yeah, I know, very surreal. Um, but it's, but when you're in the moment, it, you just can't describe it because it's, it's uh, it, with a full stadium. Ellis Park is when it's full, it's one of the best stadiums to play at. So, so yeah, so no, it was absolutely special. 
after that uh, test match against the All Blacks, we played against the Wallabies in Cape Town. And then we went to Europe for a tour, playing France and England. And I've had quite a few former Springboks on the show who have spoken about the difficulties on the French leg of that tour. They talk about the training facilities. Maybe the scrum machine was at a different place. The accommodation wasn't up to scratch. They didn't have a good time with the food in France. What was your experience like? Uh, it was rough. Eh? I mean, for, the, for us those days, to play a whole season and then to go on tour again, you were physically tired because we were not professional. And uh, But the Yanni... Uh, the, our, our, our manager, just the one hotel that we booked in was one of the hotels they stayed in 1960 or I don't know what year. They wanted to book us in and the, 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 the management just said, no, we can't because they're messing us around. We, we're staying two hours away from the training fields. We bust between cities. Um, oh, it was just hair raising. We traveled a lot. Um, so the French made it as difficult as possible for us. So, uh, But also... Uh, something that that uh, that struck me was when we got to like the first test and the protesters were there protesting that we would play, and and then only did you realize what apartheid meant and what how people saw us. You know, you never. It was just a, you would drive in the bus and people want to throw things at you. People scrambling into our hotel room the one day, uh, calling us racists and whatever and whatnot. Which was so there was there was a little bit of dynamics from this from the rugby union side there was you know the people that <clears throat> some people didn't want us there um but yeah overall it was very difficult then from the food side um you know, i remember we didn't have a dietitian those days the one i think two or three weeks into the tour they realized you'll be eating way too much and also eating mcdonald's and <laughs> all the so they tried to give us steamed fish and steamed chicken breast and then, but the guys didn't take well to that so they had to change back to the normal uh, menus that we had. But yeah, it was a very difficult tour. Um, and, and, and like Nas and those guys are all working. And Adolf Malan and the, the lawyers and the doctors and the guys that was in the squad, like uh, there's a dentist. And it was quite difficult before we went to negotiate on how do we get paid because it was eight weeks. You know, I was a student. I, I was working. But it's, it was quite an intrigue story to see how we can negotiate can we get paid? How much is I think I think it was twenty-one pounds or two pounds or I don't know. It was a ridiculous amount of money that you get per day to travel. So yeah, so all of the, all of that I think it was a it was not an easy tour, and physically we were tired. But then we sat with John Williams that wanted you to play Saturday, Copper Stump Monday, play Wednesday, Copper Stump <laughs> Thursday, which is pretty much contact three to four times a week, and you're already tired. So yeah, no, it was a, it wasn't it wasn't easy. The French leg obviously not very easy according to just about everybody that I've spoken to. Was England any different? No, England was I think we were only there for two or three weeks, so it wasn't that difficult. The weather was obviously playing its part and and wet training conditions and stuff. But no, England was a little bit better than the French. The French was horrendous. Now, in 1993, you became the starting inside centre for the Springboks. How much pressure did you feel? At that stage, I was, for the year before, in 1992, I scored the most, second most tries for Transvaal. Peter Miller, Peter Hendricks broke Harry Hermes' record as the most tries in, the, in, in a season. So I was confident that I, you know, I could play and, and I was, you know, Peter Miller myself was the biggest centre pair in, in world rugby at that stage and Obviously, Ian Mack wanted to try more direct rugby and that, and we 
because I would play fullback and center from fullback position at grade college, you learn to run proper lines and try and spaces and stuff. So I would, no, I was confident that it was, you know, the French just had so much experience. You know, I think we were like, I think 30 caps versus 150 caps or something like that. It was just, just unthinkable that we stand a chance. So, yeah, but I was confident in the guys next to me. I mean, Peter and myself know each other. We played school together. Um, so, yeah, so it, it, it was, it, you, you weren't intimidated by them because you knew you had capacity to play. But, uh, yeah, just a little bit intimidating the fact that they are so experienced. You know, that's, that's where we were not in it. And we drew the test, which was, you know, but a little bit bittersweet. And then we lost the next one with one point. So, and Theo Fenerentpa kicked a kick in the last, I think there was 10 minutes to go, seven minutes to go, and it just went under the crossbar. And the next day, the whole team was changed. And you think to yourself, you know, if <laughs> if the kick went over, the, the report would have been a little bit different. <laughs> and it's only one kick, but the rest of the game would have been the same. And then after that, we went to Australia. We won that first test match in Sydney. Famously, uh, Australia were the world champions at the time. Talk to me about that occasion. That was most probably the best rugby game I've played in my entire life. I, I put a little grabber through for Peter Miller, Campisi knocked on, Peter scored, second half, I kicked the cross kick over for James Small, he scored in the corner. And uh, yeah, no, that was just the change room afterwards was something unbelievable. We, we just, I mean, nobody gave us a chance. The South African reporters, even from family saying, yeah, that this ex-Springbok is saying this, that one is saying, not rating us, not giving us any chances. So, but I also think they didn't know what to expect from us. So, they couldn't really plan. Um, it's only when you there and when I went to play rugby league that you realize that the rugby league that was professional, that they've got systems in place. And that's how Australian rugby obviously tapped into those defense systems and stuff. So when we came to the second test, they've obviously went down Tim Horn and Jason Little sat down and said, okay, this is, this is a strategy. Obviously, I have to carry it over the advantage line and they neutralized me. And uh, pretty much, not saying I was a kingpin, but Mac played around me and Tian Strauss. So I was supposed to break the advantage line, feed Tian or uh, Joel would loop on me. And they just neutralized me. I mean, Tim Horn, uh, he's, he's not a big guy, but his center of gravity is very low. He could tackle me every single time. And, and we, yeah, we just couldn't get our second, in the second test, we just couldn't get going. And then we ended up losing the series 2-1. Um, you told me about touring France and England. What was it like touring Australia? Australia was nice eh, because there's a lot of South Africans. Like in Adelaide, I think there was more South African spectators at the, at the game than there was uh, Australians. You know? So um, we were very, very well received in Australia. And no, it was a very, very nice tour. Um, we started in Perth. We traveled all everywhere. We even went up to... One of the little places where Quibbers, we seen everybody, we had to sit in little six and eight seater planes where everybody's like James Small can't fly, he hates flying. So some oaks have to take, he had to take a sleeping tablet to get through the flight. But yeah, no, it was also fairly long distances, but it was a well organized tour. Every stadium we played, it was full house. Uh, we lost against New South Wales before that first test, which was, was very disappointing. Um, but yeah, it was nice because it's, you know, when it's a full house and the crowd is there and 
you know, the result doesn't maybe go your way, but it's still a good experience. And most of the guys that I've had on the show that went to Argentina after that in 93 have also spoken glowingly about that country. What was your experience like of Argentina? And the only thing that I can really remember is the fight of Tucumán. That was, <laughs> I mean, that just, uh, no, it was also not a bad tour, but I think Tucumán and the local refs and the local midweek games was very difficult. I mean, our, our physio, uh, Evan Speechley, he had a half time. Put, he put a raincoat on because he was spit at some spat. The spectators were spitting him. Um, so now it was it's a it was a that was a different tour. Um, and I mean, Tucumán. I'm not a fighter, but I tell you, when somebody spits you in your face, then you it sort of brings something out of you. So um, yeah, it was that that, that summarized the tour where where it was midweeks was very rough. Local refs didn't go your way. Um, Oaks were playing very dirty. Felt like you played, you know, in the coloured leagues there in, in the Cape, where it's a negative form of rugby. So they were only there to take you out, late tackles. So you worried you're going to get injured, that kind of stuff. So, but the tour itself, I think we all had a good time, good stakes. We ate well, um, and we won the two tests, which was obviously the most important thing of the tour. So yeah, that was fantastic. Now, Heinrich, you played your final test match against the Pumas. How disappointed were you that it ended there? You know, when we came back, you know, you play seven tests in a row and you think they're busy building something. So the next year we had a training camp and there was about, we were about six or seven, seven centers and they put out a, like a squad and Ian McIntosh was giving me a jersey. I was on the bench of the of all those. Like, so something changed. I don't know what it was. I don't know if it's the selectors or... Maybe he decided I, I, I'm a crash baller. I can't play normal rugby, uh, which uh, was I was requested to do that. It wasn't my own idea to start crashing balls up in the middle of the field. So yeah, it was it was a major disappointment because uh, you know you would hope that you would continue playing. So yeah, that that training camp gave me a bit of a well, you know, obviously something's changed. Uh, it's it's I don't know if the selectors changed or or Max's idea of his direct rugby has changed. I, I still haven't spoke to him about it today. I wanted to ask him, what, what did I do something wrong or what changed? But yeah, so that was a major disappointment because, like I said, I mean, you you expect to play a whole season. So, and then the next season, you would sort of anticipate that things will just carry on and unfortunately that it. Heinrich, you didn't score a test try, and in that last test against Argentina, we won 52-23. Did you speak to your teammates afterwards saying, listen, could someone just not pass the ball to me in space here? No, it's, I mean, I, I played most probably 18 or 19 Springbok games, you know, and I didn't score, but it was because, uh, you know, a lot of times you, it's because they changed the, the dynamic. When you play for the Springboks, you play under instruction and you stick to what you require of. If you don't do that, you're not going to get selected again. So I think I was more on the ground than I was up in my feet <clears throat> because you had to defend and you were and you had to carry the ball up. So I was just not in a playable position to receive a ball to, to cross the, the white chalk. So where, like I said earlier, in Transvaal, where we had freedom with Harry to play, I scored the second most try. So... At Gray Bloom, I scored the most, I was the highest point scorer in the trick, but it was only tries. You know, I even had more points in the kickers. So 
Yeah, so it was quite. Uh, it was quite uh, today when you think about it, it's disappointing that you played so many games that you couldn't cross the chalk once. Very disappointing, to say the least. <laughs> I have no doubt. Uh, so, Heinrich, a little bit earlier you spoke about uh, John Williams and his coaching technique, and you've touched a little bit on Ian McIntosh and his direct rugby. If I could ask you to elaborate a little bit, uh, would you mind discussing, in your opinion, the two men and their coaching philosophies? John was still old school, uh, you know, like I said, you play Saturday, Monday morning, you will still have another contact session. Wednesday, you play a full game. So for him, it was all about brutality and physicalness. And I think it's like the bulls that he coached, you know, that was, you dominate up front and you had a fly off like Nars that can give you positional play, but it's all about the forwards to get the forward back going in it. So where Ian Mack was a little bit more, open that and he wanted he wanted to try and introduce a game plan you know to try and give us to play to a certain structure and to get us to do specific things on specific places on the field where john wasn't so technically inclined you know it was more brutal force and you just have to more grin and bray and grind it up so where marcus i think he was a maybe a little bit before he started same as Ari for when when i played for the Congress that um, they were both thinking a little bit more outside of the box, trying to get all the players on buying in in the game plan. Because if you don't have buy-in, you know, if you lose your players in the, in the change room, then, then, you know, you don't have a game going on. So we, and it was new for Mac. So it's new for him. It was new for us. So, yeah, I think he's technically a was more advanced than, than John Williams was. Okay, Heinrich, who was your toughest opponent? Well, I would say I played the most against Tim Horn, but, you know, he's, he and Jason Little was really the, I mean, winning a World Cup, I think they were 19 or 20 years old when they won the World Cup. Um, they were such a combined unit that they knew each other inside, outside, center. The, the one, when you play center, you need to know what the, your partner is doing and they, they, as a, as a pair, knew exactly. They played off each other. Uh, there was confidence in their defense. Like I said earlier, that Tim would neutralize me. He basically just kept me out of the game. So I would say he was definitely um, my best opponent that I played against. And, I mean, it, it showed in his rugby. He's, he was a world-class player. Heinrich, is there a particularly funny moment that you can share with us from your time with the Springboks? When, when we went to... France and England, I was only 21. I turned 21 that year. I was the youngest Springbok in history in Transvaal at that stage. And these guys like Garth Wright and Adolf Milan and Danny Faber, they were 32, 33 years old. So I was a skivvy. I had a line lager toured with us where they had a rep that toured with us the whole tour. And they, they created boxes of beer to every hotel that we stayed in. And then the fans would come and drink with us. And then afterwards, we would go out. And then Adolf Malan and Garth Wright would say, no, I'm the skivvy. So I must take a case or two cases of beer. Then we would walk to a bar, Adolf at two meters, 10 or whatever, just tell the bouncer or whatever. We'd bring our own beer in. And then we would have a couple of beers in a bar with our own beers. You know? So as a skivvy at 21, you, yeah, I, was, I was really the grunky on the, on the block. I was the youngest in the squad. So that was very, you know, the old guys included you in, <clears throat> in fun facts like that, you know. So we went out together and, you know, it was quite funny to walk in with a case of beer into a restaurant and just 
some tall oak just explaining to you this, you know, there's no option here. <laughs> it just happens, you know, we're going to take our beer in and have our own beer inside the, in your restaurant. <laughs> Very cool indeed. Um, Heinrich, what are you up to these days? I work for an entrepreneur here in town. He's got 13 restaurants and that's our ops manager for him. So, yeah, so we venture a little bit into hospitality. So, yeah, so, but like I said earlier, we've been, we've just been in PE for the last 18 months, still finding our feet, getting our friends, groups, circles sorted out and meeting new people every week. And yeah, I slotted in with some old rugby guys from Eastern Province and they've been welcomed, welcomed us in. And, but they all like Oaks that played, you know, they 63, 65. Donnie Cabot was in a group there. So we caught up with him a bit. Uh, so yeah, so he's like, B is obviously a little bit better than Islamic. So, Kabeha. Absolutely. All right, Heinrich, we're going to take a look at the trivia question again quickly. Which city was the venue for Rassi Erasmus's first test as Springbok coach in 2018? Do you know the answer, Heinrich? I don't know. I would guess, uh, I would guess Alice Park. Um, I think most people would guess that it would be a South African city, right? The correct answer is actually Washington, D.C. Oh, yeah, I remember. I remember when he sent that second string side across. That was right. Oh, no. That was quite a controversial team and a controversial decision for him to do that. No, no, no. That's, that's true. Eh? But again, toodles to him. I mean, he, he got that going and the process started and the trophies in the cupboard. So nobody can complain about that. Heinrich, let me tell you, it was lovely having you on Front Row Rugby today, and I hope that we can have you on again in the future. Brilliant, Peter. Thanks for sharing, and thanks for taking some time out with me. Last time on Front Row Rugby, I had 1992 Springbok coach John Williams as my guest. You can go and watch that video. It's appearing on your screen right now. Next time, we'll have 1995 Rugby World Cup winner Peter Hendricks here. This Front Row Rugby episode appeared originally on YouTube. If you enjoyed this content, please consider subscribing and sharing with your friends. See you next time.